This week, I heard a terrible joke. It was bad. So I decided y'all needed to hear it. You're welcome in advance. All right, there are these three guys, and they're all sitting around talking about their funerals and what they want said about them. This one guy says, all right, friends, when I die, I want you to say that I was a good humanitarian and that I did a lot for my community. And they're like, okay, all right. Second friend says, you know what, when I die, I want you to say that I was a good husband and I was a good father and I'm an example for others to follow. I'm like, okay. Third guy says, well, when I die, I want you to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> yeah, I told you it was a bad joke. And what's a terrible part about it is I'm actually using it to introduce our scripture today. Yes, I am, because today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. We are so close to Easter. We're in that part of our Lenten journey where we're getting restless because we are ready for spring. We're ready for the color. We're ready for all of it. And so we are starting to prepare ourselves. We're preparing our homes and our menus and our outfits and our gardens. We're making plans for Easter. In that same spirit, we need to be preparing ourselves theologically. We need to start to prepare ourselves spiritually for what is to come in 14 days. And the way we do that is through certain scriptures. They're important scriptural stories that we need to read. And the one we will read today it's from the Gospel of John. And it's an important story that helps prepare us for Easter. And the story in John is not a miracle story. It's not a healing story. It's what we call a sign. Because the Gospel writer of John only uses sign stories. Meaning everything written by John is a sign pointing you that Jesus is Christ. And so the story today is about Lazarus. And it's a good one. And it's a long one. I'm going to prepare you now. It is 45 verses. And I know, I heard it. And I'm going to read them all. And I'm going to read them all because it's important to hear them all and experience them all. There's so much in it. There's joy and there's frustration and there's grief and there's excitement. It's all there. And so I'm going to invite you to prepare yourself for these 45 verses. And if you've heard this story before, good. I want you to hear it again with a new take and fresh ears. If you've never heard this story before, good. This is amazing. Their moments, their words, their phrases. So receive it. Now you can follow along with me on the screen. You can follow along in your own Bible. It's John 11. Or you can just close your eyes and listen. Or you can do whatever hybrid version you want. We're reading the story of Lazarus. John 11. Verses 1 through 45. 
Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And her brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, but Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of the world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not with them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. And Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, and they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so you may believe, but let us go to him. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had already come to Martha and to Mary and to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. And while Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. So those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary got up quickly and went to him. 
And now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and quickly go out. And so they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, Mary knelt again at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister, said, Lord, already there's a stench. It's been four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd, so that they may believe you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Did you smell the stench? Did you hear the conversations? Did you feel the embrace? There is so much here. I've read a lot of commentaries about this text. I've read a lot of theologians. And this particular week, I read a theologian who said, a preacher would do well not to get lost in the details. A wise preacher would never look at the subplots or characters, but a wise preacher would only look at the whole story. To me, That was the terrible joke of the week because it's in the details. It's in the subplots. It's in the characters that sometimes I find the most meaning. And so I invite you today to be unwise with me. I don't know where you are on your journey. I don't know where you are in your Lenten disciplines. And so today, what I offer are a few different perspectives. I'm going to offer a few different vantage points because there are so many in this story. The hope being that maybe something speaks to you in your situation. If not, the hope is that God will use it to let you have your own, your own thoughts, your own perspective, your own message, your own word. So the first thing I want to offer you is this visual. I offer this visual. It will stay up for a bit 
because this is actually um, the artwork from something called St. John's Bible. And usually when you see a picture of Lazarus, you always see it from outside the cave, from outside the tomb. You see the people waiting for Lazarus to come out. This is the opposite. This is a picture of Lazarus in the tomb, in the cave. And you can see these signs of life and glory around them, but ultimately you see this small figure in the middle. So it's a decision Lazarus has of to when and if to come out. I read a story about a man who actually lived in a cave. This man was a Japanese soldier during World War II. He was in Guam fighting. He turned around and the rest of his battalion was gone. No one was left. So out of fear, this Japanese soldier ran into the jungle, found a cave, and stayed there. He heard that the war was over because the American pilots would throw down the pamphlets and he found one one night and read it that the war was over, but he was still afraid. And so out of fear, this soldier lived in the cave for 28 years. During the day, he stayed inside the dark cave. He would only come out at night and he would live on the things that grew close to him. So mango trees and any animal that would scurry at his feet, he would take. For 28 years, this man lived in darkness because of fear. Hunters found him on an accident, and they tried to coax him out of the cave. And they couldn't get him to come out, no matter what they said, no matter what they did. Authorities got involved, and they actually had to find a Japanese commander to go to his cave and help him get out. I think we do this. I think so many times we are just living in our own little caves on only what we think we need to survive. We live in darkness because we think we deserve it or we think it's the best thing to do. We have mental health, we have physical health issues, and so we stay locked up in our cave only to come out in darkness because we're worried about acceptance, we're worried about the truth, we're worried about love, we're worried about whatever vulnerability may lie on the other side in the light. And so we stay hidden. People may not know it, but we may stay hidden. We may stay alone. Another thought, though, is to have a friend. To have a friend is human. To have a friend is good. To have a friend is biblical. Ruth had Naomi. Do you remember that beautiful friendship? And they were actually related. They were like mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, and they were still best friends. It's weird. They had each other. They had friends. King David. Do you remember King David's friend? His dearest friend in the world was named Jonathan. And we have beautiful scripture about the two of them. They had a friend, they had each other. Doesn't it make sense that Jesus would have a friend? 
And this isn't just any friend. This is a deep friend. This is a friend that has context, that has history. And we're told from the very beginning, this is the friend whose sisters helped take care of him. This is the friend of, or the brother of Mary and Martha. This is the friend that helped nurture him, that helped feed Jesus, that wiped her hair on his feet. This is the special family that took care of one another and provided for one another. Lazarus has history with Jesus. We have a man named Jesus who chose to have a friend. And who knows what these men did? They could have just been telling each other jokes. They could have been holding each other accountable. They could have been in a mentor group together. What I like to think about, though, how long had it been since Jesus had seen Lazarus? Do we even know how much time had gone by? I have a friend. I grew up with her. She was my best friend ever. You ever have one of those growing up? Your best friend ever in the whole wide world? Best friends forever? Her sister might as well have been my sister. My brother might as well have been her brother. Our parents just kind of parented all of us at one time kind of thing. Of course, life happened. You start to move away from one another physically as well as emotionally. Years had flown by. And I found myself in a gym about 20 years later in Georgia, a high school gym in Georgia. And I was just getting settled because I had a child function that was happening in front of us. And I look over on the bleachers to my right, and I'm like, that's funny. That woman looks like Amy. Huh, funny. I started watching, I'm like, gosh, that woman really looks like Amy. So finally, just wasn't thinking, I was like, hey, is that Amy, are you Amy? And she turned around, looked at me, she's like, Marion? Do you know my very best friend from childhood was sitting right across the bleachers from me? And all of a sudden, the two of us were side by side, hip to hip, as if not a moment had passed. Do you ever have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that no matter how much time has gone by, as soon as you hear their voice, you pick up right where you left off? Those true friends in your life that know everything about you? I think, I like to think, I wonder if that was the friendship that Lazarus and Jesus had. The kind of friend that no matter how much time had passed, no matter what had happened, they went right back. Because sometimes it's a friend, and only a friend, that can call you out. It's a friend, a good friend, and only a friend that can hold you accountable. It's a friend, and only a friend, that can call you out and say, you need to be unbound and let it go. So I wonder... Is there someone you need to check on? Do you have a friend that you need to think about? Is there something happening in your life where you could use that sense of companionship? Another interesting thing that strikes me about this text, usually 
in an emergency situation, what happens? Anybody? In an emergency situation, I see a hand. You know what happens. People run. When you call out emergency, people run. There's a sense of urgency about it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not land on boardwalk. You need to go, 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 go in an emergency. This is an emergency situation that we have in Scripture. And what does Jesus do? He waits. He lingers. He doesn't do anything. It's interesting to me because the actual word is tarry. Jesus tarries. Don't you love that word? It's a good word from an old hymn. If you ever remember holding hymnals in your hand when you went to church. I know, back in the good old days. There's a hymn, the joy we share as we tarry there no other has ever known. It's a whole song about sitting and lingering and tarrying with God in the garden. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a beautiful word to tarry. Jesus tarries. I'm sure this doesn't happen to any of you, but my partner, he tarries. My husband tarries all the time, especially when their job's to do in the house. I'm like, you're going to do that? He tarries. My children, they tarry. Do your children tarry? If there's an errand to be done around the house, go get me this or go clean up that, they tarry. It's funny, though, because as soon as my children want something, there's a sense of urgency. Come on, now, how about now? Come out, please, 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 let me go. Let me do this. There's a sense of urgency when they need something. And it's in my children's urgency where my husband really tarries. It's quite fascinating to watch. As my children are begging, my husband will say, if you want an answer now, the answer is no. But if you wait, if you talk to me, let me process it. It may change. I think Jesus is doing that a little bit here. Jesus is not reacting to the world's crisis. Jesus is not reacting to the world's emergencies. He's lingering. He's processing. He's talking. He's waiting. And I think sometimes the greatest gift of life can be when you have to wait for it. Maybe. story connects us to things. It connects us to another story of Lazarus in the, test, the New Testaments and the Synoptic Gospels. Do you remember the other story of Lazarus? He's at the gate. This story connects us to that one about the man who is tarrying at the gate, who's waiting for a friend. He's waiting for food. He's waiting for someone to call him out and call him up. It connects us to the story of the great shepherd when it's only the shepherd's voice that the sheep will respond to. So when the shepherd says, unbind him and let him go, they will. It's Ezekiel 37. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Dry bones, dry bones. We only have 14 days left. There are only 14 more days to prepare ourselves to receive the light of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the friendship of the Lord. We have 14 more days to sit and wait. Because in 14 more days, 
we will see movement. We will come together and say, he is moving. And so may the spirit of the Lord that already lives within us move among us for these next 14 days. Amen. Pray with me. Lord of love, we ask that you bring new life to us in this community today. Lord of change, we ask for you to hear us. Lord, we ask for you to give us purpose in what we do and what we say and what we sing so that we know that more of you may be shared through us. And so we ask that you encourage us. We ask that you energize us. You ask, we ask that you connect to all of us. And Lord, for every little one and for every older one, we ask that you be with us in whatever our needs may be. If we are grieving, if we are weeping, weep with us and give us comfort. We do pray for the women who are unsure how to handle what's in front of them. We pray for the men who are asking questions of what to do next. We pray for this church so that we value people who are out of their caves. And may we be the many who are helping others to see you from their perspective and their vantage point, calling you out to be unbound and to live as free people. And so bring us together, Lord, so that we may be strengthened for you in this world, so we can celebrate all the details and even the big picture in these next weeks. We ask all of this in the name of the one that we wait for. Amen.